If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the four blades in a pub are back, live from lockdown two. And tonight, I'm John, and I'm joined with Dan. Good evening, everyone. Philip. Good evening. Ian. Good evening. And uh, we really, really wish we had the opportunity to speak to you last week after the Liverpool game because we were all buzzing. And the Man City game, uh, it's fair to say, levelled us out somewhat. Phil, having not seen the Liverpool game because you took the opportunity to get away for a few days, I believe, how did you find the Man City game? Uh, I suppose just taking it in the pure context of that one game, looking at what actually happened, we were undone by a wonder goal by someone who scored 10 goals in the career. They didn't create a lot of other chances and we had lots of balls. So just looking at that, you could say that we, we did relatively okay against one of the best sides in European football. But I came into the game with such high expectations, knowing what we'd done against Liverpool, having not seen it, with the side being the same, with, with Berger out on the right and Ampadu playing the, the holding midfield role. Um, Brewster starting for his first time at Bramall Lane and, and McBurney apparently had a good game at Liverpool as well. It, it just, it all felt a little bit flat for me and, and I think that it, that just, that was just the performance as a whole. The amount of times we got into good positions and did nothing with it was just infuriating and I can imagine McBurney will have been pulling his tash off by the end of the game because it, it just, it might as well have not have been there, had he? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting like you say, I think, for me coming out of that Liverpool game we did well against Liverpool because we actually took our game to Liverpool to an extent and I think Liverpool at times struggled particularly first half with the way we were playing up against, getting, getting up against them taking it to them do you know what's really interesting? We've, we've said loads of times this season that the, the fact that we're not there in the ground is affecting us and I think there's no doubt in it. it obviously, everybody's in, all clubs are in the same boat, but we're one of those teams that the fans get on the team's back, or team's side, should I say, mm. and we like having an extra man. And, and I think everybody everybody who supports Sheffield United can see and feel that, and the players have alluded to it and Wilde has alluded to it. Listening to a sports psychologist on Sky Sports after the Liverpool game, he was talking about the reason we were able to play the way we did at Anfield and take our game to them and play the way we did was because there was no fans in the ground. The complete opposite to what we've been saying all season. I just thought it was a really interesting spin on us. But that comes the exact that freedom from criticism then. Yeah. And like a, a freedom from not, not worrying that if you, if you do something that doesn't come off, 30,000 people are going to... Exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. But the other side of that is look, what Liverpool like. And it, it's, that, it's that lockdown league table, I think I mentioned on the last part. Because we were bottom and Liverpool were down there in the bottom three or four as well because Next they've week. suffered. Yeah, we said some of that could be down to, um, you know, winning the league and getting that position where you can then just relax a bit and you've got other other focuses. But ultimately, they aren't the same team as well. 
And I think, you know, that, that it kind of worked for us on that day. But I would say that's the trouble is how, how much of the rest of the time is it just working against us? It, it, it bothered me more that, and I, I described it before we came on the pod, we t- you know, we, we, we really took it to Liverpool and it just felt like we bend, bend over and took it from Man City. And that, that, that bothers me because that wasn't, that wasn't a United performance for me. Well, I, I got a bit of stick for, for commenting during the first half about Ampadu. I didn't see anything that Norwood can't do from Ampadu any time in that game at all. And I can only judge it on what I've seen. But for me, we've said it on this pod so many times, we're a better side with Ollie Norwood in it. And I thought we were a better side with Ollie Norwood on the pitch when he came on on Saturday as well. 100%. Well, he will be playing on Saturday. And if he doesn't, I dread to think who starts in midfield and in what position. You can't not, can he, with Ampadu not being... Uh, um, I, I think Ampadu's an interesting one because yes. I feel like the Liverpool game was a bit like a um, one of those... Do you know when you've got a lot on at work and you get up and you go in and all of a sudden you're getting through your to your to-do list and you're on top of it and then you actually end up leaving thinking bloody hell I was dreading that and I gave a good account myself and I got and you like, like you grow into the day at work so you just everything falls for you or whatever I'm not saying everything fell for us in that Liverpool game but I think you saw in the players they had a bit of belief from maybe the first five ten minutes of riding this luck with that stupid Ramsdale rushing out incident that nearly resulted in the goal and stuff and then all of a sudden they just continued to grow and grow in confidence but what disappointed me on Saturday was the fact that we didn't move the ball as quickly and with that sort of and it's not just the crossing in the wide edge because that's not a problem that manifested itself on Sunday that's a problem that we've had all season we don't go in round the back because nobody plays the ball in between the centre half and the full back anymore for someone to run onto and there's lots of reasons for that and we can go into them all night but I just I feel like we played ourselves into the game against Liverpool whereas in, against City we didn't play in that that manner that sort of it's a big challenge I'm taking it on. Now, the two contrasting styles of the clubs we're playing, Liverpool, m- more direct, not just in terms of passing, but in terms of how quickly they move the ball forward. Whereas City, it's tick-attacker and then it's Mares and Sterling driving. Um, may have had something to do with that, but it was it was thoroughly disappointing. Um, especially with, and this is Blade's pod last night before we sat down and record, and they mentioned it. And when McBurney put that challenge in early on, Diaz thought, oh, yeah, here we go again. We're going to get into him here. But if That's we exactly did, what I thought. Exactly what I put on the WhatsApp group. Yeah. If we were in the ground, then it's showing boys. Like, and, and, and it's different. But that could have been this year's Mo Besic tackle on... Mo uh, Besic levelling Laporte last season. Yeah, And I also really enjoyed, at one point, I think Laporte was having a pop at Brewster and McBurney almost went over to say, pick on someone your own size, don't go near him, I'll have you. I felt sorry for the two lads up front as well. Oh, massively, massively. Yeah. It's not all about the, the crosses coming in. It's just the service in general. It, it, it was just... I don't know. Berger was very, very quiet. First half, especially, Berger was very quiet. We just didn't seem to get going at all. We, we could have, at the minute, Shearer and Batistuta up front mm. for us, and they would not score goals because we do not create chances. Can I also oh. say we could have Gordon Banks in goal and we'd still be losing games? 
Oh, I think it's oh. I think it's really fair as well. Like people saying about Ramsdale should have done better. I also heard somebody like somebody's criticising the defenders not getting out to it. It might you can't like if the ball falls to Walker there and two people closing down, he's just going to skip round them and the defence is opened up. When you're playing against top-class players, you do have to hold a line. And our entire defensive unit, which everyone's you know gushed about how good they are for the last two years or whatever, it's it's all to do with de- defending the box. We still are, by the way. We're still we've still got one of the best defenses in the Premier League. Yeah. And, this is, and this is something we'll we're, I'm sure we'll get to about being positive. I just think like that Walker goal, it's not Ramsdale's fault. But the fact that people instantly know what the folks the keeper doing, he got a finger to it. It's the sort of goal that if it goes in, you don't blame the keeper, but if he saves it, it's a very, very good save. And it kind of it kind of falls into both categories, doesn't it? On that a, wet, if it goes that, in, it's not an error. On that no, wet pitch, it's just skipping through, isn't it, as well? And he's a little bit sweet of... as you like as well. He's, Walker doesn't strike many like that. When he does, they generally go in. Is that right, Phil? He scored 10 goals in his career. Two of them at Bramall Lane. I was going to say 20% said of his goal-scoring feats yeah. have been at Bramall Lane. How yeah. many of them were at Gretna when he went on loan and played up front? Because that's where he... Um, he, he had no, that, was Kyle Norton. that was Kyle, Kyle Norton that played at that Gretna. Kyle Norton that went to Gretna. Walker went to Northampton. OK. Retraction. <laughs> Only got them confused because they came through at the same time. I think, I think we can. I think yeah, we can ascertain that. Reason. I think we can ascertain that he got zero percent of his goals at Gretna. Then. Oh, <laughs> lol. <laughs> As you were, but no. In all seriousness, it was. It, uh, it's weird, isn't it, to be disappointed about losing one nil to Man City and being able to still get something out of the game. It came. It comes down again, doesn't it, to little things where that, unfortunately. Some of the players just aren't good enough. So we talked what's, about what's puzzling, what's puzzling me this season is is the kind of attitude change. So I know Wilder's alluded to it, and he was a bit snippy in the post match and, and in his press conference today about people saying, you know, we shouldn't be going toe to toe. You know, we can't expect to go toe to toe with Man City and Liverpool. That's fine. No one, no one expects us to do that. But last season, in these corresponding games. Maybe Liverpool slightly different. We gave a better account of ourselves. Yeah. So one of one of Wilder's things since he's been here has been talking about going out the front door. I'm sorry, but against Man City, we did not go out the front door. That was yeah. a that was very much a war knock in the Premier League. Right, don't get hammered today, lads. And if we're still in it with five minutes to go, ten minutes to go, let's have a go. But that, that, can, the game plan just... there was not to get dicked. Can I just be a bit objective for a second? Because I, I get you, and I, 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 I'm actually with you. I'm just being objective for the sake of putting an argument forward. Had we been sat on five or six points before this game, would we be having the same attitude towards it? Or would we be saying we restricted Man City to some very few chances, had lots of ball and possession second half? Would we view it a different way? Or would we still see it the same way? I'm Possibly, because the, the way we are at the minute and how we are, it's kind of polarising your view. So you're looking at something You're looking at something from a different aspect. Yeah, like you say, if we'd have got seven, eight, nine points, we'd have probably said, don't matter, it's a free swing, we're on nine points. We're, you know, nine points would probably put us top, put us top half. Uh, at the table, isn't it? We were on eight at this time last season. We were 11th in league. Yeah. And unfortunately, been... being on one point... We can see it, 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 it puts the pressure on every single game, doesn't it? 
Mm. And we conceded more goals at this stage last season as well. It's it, it, it is a bonkers stat. I think every I think Phil, what you're saying there is two things. First of all, you're in the ground. That last 20 minutes is different in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of we might drive them on, but we'd feel. But also, if you're in the ground as a fan, you're like you're going at half time. We want nil down. It's a wonder strike. They've been all over us. Let's hope we get a reaction. Come out. We played ourselves into the game, not in a very elegant way, mainly because of their. I don't want to say inability, but reluctance to maybe let go of it. Because I, I genuinely thought Guardiola's tactic was, we're going to get a goal, just don't do anything stupid and be solid. And Rodri did an amazing job on McBurney, um, which stopped our sort of weird long ball uh, approach. But also, it's just a further example of watching the game and the style we do. You watch it side on, which we, none of us do anyway normally, because we all sit on the cop. And it's just like, it becomes, you, you're analysing everything. Everything, this happened, you remember when that happened? And it's just that anxiety-inducing way of watching football. If we win on Saturday night, it's not going to feel, it'll feel good. But I don't think it's going to be the release of euphoria that a lot of Blades fans feel it's going to be. I think we're still going to be like, oh, we've won at Chelsea. Amazing. And then all of a sudden, by half past seven, you've stuck a film on. You might just pull yourself a more generous glass of red. I think that's the only difference. It's, honestly, I, I think it's a further example of that. You're just anal- we're analysing everything, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's just bleak. I, I think your point, though, and, I, and just to come back to, to Phil's sort of counterpoint to that, I think that kind of we'll accept it under different. We'll accept it under different circumstances. If we had more points. I think we'd still struggle because it is out of character. Mm. It's not how, for a large part of last season, and look, I know things change post-lockdown and some of those performances were out of character, but for a large part of last season, it's out of character with how we've approached games we've played against better teams, or on paper, much better I teams. I can't think of any games last season where we were so almost defeated from the start. Fine. From, yeah. from minute one. I can't yeah. think of any. Certainly, one while we were in the ground. Anyway, no, no. It's 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 odd. Like I say, it's it, that that match on Saturday had a, a Warnock Premier League feel to it. The whole season so far this season, and I know it's a, it's a strange comparison. It also it almost feels like Danny Wilson's second season. So the the first yeah. season under Wilson, we were swashbuckling. We were flying forward. We were outscoring teams. The second season, they seem to go really cautious. And I'm not saying that's a conscious thing this season, but just the contrast between last season and this, just put me in mind of... It, it's definitely not a conscious thing. It's we've, Because we've had such a bad start to the season, we're trying to not lose games. And that's not the way that Sheffield United win games or have won games over the last three or four years. And we've lost as best player in all four areas of the pitch. Oh yeah, that that's still a given, isn't it? That we would be a better side with with Flight McBurney, uh, sorry, McBurney Moose and um, Jack O'Connell, and also Norwood. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I should just clarify, by the way, my point about Ampadu is I'm I'm not being critical of Ampadu at all. I'd like to see him find a place in this side. I just I'm not sure it's for, at the expense of Oliver Norwood. Take your Norwood glasses off. <laughs> I, I, what I would say is I've been watching him against Liverpool 
my tweet was, we've got a team now, we should settle on this. Now, I, I stuck up for Norwood on the last pod. I was talking about him, you know, in, in, when we were talking about players that deserve more credit than perhaps getting at the minute. Um, but I said that because actually against Liverpool, that, that was our best performance of the season. The way we played, the way the team... And so you actually, why change something that's worked? And given the matches we've got against Man City, Chelsea, and Purdue wasn't as creative as, as Norwood, and we didn't, probably didn't play the same way as we would with Norwood in the team, but equally we were creative, he was breaking up play very well, and I could see why he should keep his place on the back of that. And Purdue against Liverpool was so good without the ball, which yeah. has always been the problem with Norwood. If you were to have one, Norwood will tackle, which is a, like, I'm not suggesting he won't get stuck in, but it's that Ampadu was intercepting things. And not just off anyone, he was taking the ball off like top players by just, just being that step ahead of them. And obviously, I think one argument about Saturday, and I think you had to do it with the news that came out last week, which we're going to talk about in the next section, the Mr. Lundstrom, um, is changing the team was pretty stupid. You could make that argument that it played that well. Like you say, we'd had the best performance of the season. The exact, all the players were fit. They should have stayed the same. I think that changing the team was more about Lowe being fit and putting Osborne in for that bit of energy that he's got into midfield. I don't think it was because of Lundstrom. I suspect that it would have been that way anyway. Is it, is it, should we talk about Mike Lowe? I was about to say that. I thought I I like the look of him. I think I think we look a better defensive unit with Ender Stevens at centre half than we have done so far this season. And uh, low so far for me's looked the part. I I think he obviously Fulham. He got knocked out early on, and the next fifteen minutes looked like he were playing with. I don't know. He he couldn't see, which evidently he couldn't. But I thought I thought he did okay against Man City. Didn't look out of place at all. I just remember a cross that was possibly one of the shittiest things I've seen all season that he hit far too deep. It was literally a floater that, that went to Edison. And I just... I, I, Which is I, amusing because you've seen George Baldock play all season. <laughs> Baldock doesn't cross it, so it's not yeah, fair. That's true. <laughs> this, this, was, this was one of my points. Um, and it's I'm probably not going to win any popularity contest for making this point, but... Um, a couple of press conferences that Tufty's done over the last couple of weeks, talking about Max Lowe and, and Bogle, um, and he's harking back to, like he did when we were in the Championship, about Wednesday players being big hitters on 40, 50 grand a week. And he's now talking about Man City spending 100, you know, spending 100 million. To me, it's just it's becoming a little bit tiresome. This, I, I get that we're not in their league, but we weren't in their league last season. Nothing's changed from last season. They've not suddenly spent more money than they did last season and we've not spent less. In actual fact, the value of our team is probably closer to Man City's this season than it was last because we've now got an £18 million goalkeeper, a £20 million um, central midfielder, a £40-odd million strike force and an £8 million right-back who can't even get in the squad when the current incumbent in that position puts it in less than a, someone with chronic erectile dysfunction. So... <laughs> I was just a podcast name, Solid. He's a star. No, I'm not even starting. Just, I, I'm, I don't know. I just... 
it's wearing a little bit thin, this we can't compete shtick. And it's it, Man City have spent about a billion pounds. I don't care. Bloody hell, it's a big firework. I don't know if you catch that on the pod. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, th- I agree with you, Dan. I think like this ex like, come on, leave it out. As well, like, the, my friend who's a Leeds fan, he goes, while they're going on about like money and stuff, your strike force costs much more than our forward line. And unfortunately, and unfortunately he's right. I know they've is got he? Rodrigo. Is he? Rodrigo and Bamford? Rodrigo was 22 million, so he's the same as Brewster. Bamford was 10. I thought it was more than that. I thought they put, anyway, it's by the by. But what I'm trying to make is like the, the leads aren't nine fit, like, yeah, with Villa and stuff, but I think when you, um, it's weird, isn't it? Because what he, what Wilder's done, it's interesting this because they're almost criticizing him a fair bit, is um, he's, he, he changes his narrative. Sometimes it's like this, the brutally honest side, but then it's done in a way which is to detract and defend the players or whatever. But what I think he's been the constant this season is almost the whinging about the money. And we've seen the toys fully come out of the pram at times in the past, but then we've never lost so many games on the spin. So it's sort of like, it's a weird, it's a weird like way, like he, has he got the tools to use use his presses differently. Now, I think we're all going to talk about the Chelsea game. We were in the bloody form of the life on the fat Frank and God knows what will happen on Saturday evening. But that constant negativity about money, yeah, it might be sticking two fingers up to the ball. But it also, subconsciously, is a message that, oh, yeah, I like my players. I'll do anything for them, but they're just not good enough. They're not as good as the rest of the ones because they're not worth as much money. Is it... Whether he's trying to elicit a response from the players, whether this is a bit of reverse psychology, you know, if he says that and, and someone like McBurney says, well, I, you know, he's wanting to get him to say, I'll prove to you that I'm worth 20 million. I don't know. It's just, it's not doing us any favours, I don't think, at the minute. And, and I think you're right with what you're saying. It, 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 it is becoming tiresome as well. I don't want to hear it. I'm, I know we can't compete financially with Man City. I know we can't. I don't need to be told that by his manager. And like you say, exactly. If, if that's the attitude, what's the point in being up there? If, if mm. the second you get into the Premier League, you go, well, they've all got more money than us. What can we do? Then what, what are we doing here? And we it's, will... Sorry, Ian. I say it's symptomatic of what we're saying about how the players approach that game a bit. You know, it's kind of a, a defeatist, well, the, the better, we might as well not bother getting in the faces. We might as well not take the game to them. You know. I, I, can, I, just, can I... Go on, Ian. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it just, it just I, I, for the first time, I'm not listening to Wilder's post-match interviews or his press conferences. I'm the same. I am the same. And, and, and maybe that's a reflection of how I'm feeling generally about football. And I'm chatting, I'm chatting to my boss at work, who's who's a Leeds fan, who wants to talk about Leeds, even when they've lost 4-1. He's amazed I'm not raising it with him. I said, I'm not raising it with you, because I'm hardly from a, coming from a position where I've got anything to, you know, rub it in about, to be honest. And, and it, and maybe, like I say, maybe it's symptomatic of how I'm feeling about football. But it, it like you say, it becomes there's a lot about it that becomes tiresome. And you, people could look in on this, and if they weren't a blade, say, well, you, you're just being, you're just being, you know, half-hearted about it because you're losing for the first time. Oh well, yeah, it's bigger we than are. yeah, we are. But there's more to it than that. Shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and he is that, and I think that is Wilder's hurting Ian as well. Yeah. And I think that, but I just don't know if he. 
like Dan says, it is tiresome and it's annoying me. Not think, as like when Clough used to take them short draws of breath between every set. That used to get my blood going every, even when we'd won. It's not annoying me as, annoying me as much as Nigel Adkins' poetry or the wisdom of geese. Put it that way. Can I can I cap, can I kind of box this section off by saying as much as it's frustrating, we've still got the best manager I've ever had in my lifetime, and oh, I've got yeah. every faith and get it Absolutely. right. Absolutely, wouldn't swap him for, for you know for most. Definitely. So welcome back to part two. Um, we're going to have a bit of a section now just talking about probably the most controversial thing of this season so far, and that's the, the John Lundstrom situation. He's he's kind of always been a bit of a uh, a player that polarises fans anyway, because not everybody's always, not everybody's liked him, even when he was doing so well last season. And, and Chris Wilder's interview last week has perhaps made that even worse. So what, what, what do we think? Should he be playing? Do we never see him again? Is he worth a shirt anyway? I don't think I don't think we've got a choice until January when we can replace him to not play him or at least have him in the squad. Our squad, certainly without Fleck, isn't deep enough. And even with Fleck, I would still, as a player, I would still take Lundstrom over Osborne as a midfielder any day of the week. So I don't think we've got the. I don't think we're we're strong enough to be able to just say, "That's your lot, John." You know. I I, I I'll, I'll throw another opinion because I think John's going to go full pelt on this one. But my view is my view is a. If I'm looking at people when I manage people, and I'm not not managing them as a footballer, but I'm you know managing a work sense. If I got an inkling that somebody was wanting out, and it, it wasn't happy with their lot and we weren't going to do anything to make that better and we weren't going to reach agreement on it, I think that's when trust starts to break down. Now, what we can say about, oh, he's, he's giving 100% and Wilder knows best and he sees him in trading and plays and stuff, I immediately got doubts that that person's on the way at some point and that, to me, makes me question whether giving 100%. Now, I got in arguments with people around the Villa penalty because this was going on, obviously, for a while. I wouldn't have had him taking a penalty. I don't want a player that isn't committed properly to this club put into positions like that. Now, that's not saying he missed it on purpose. I'm not, not, I'm not stupid. But equally, we're putting a player who is putting himself on the edge of, well, extreme scrutiny in a position where he's, he's taking responsibility. And, if, he, and if, if that responsibility isn't discharged, then it will get even worse. And that doesn't help the player, to be fair. And it doesn't help the club. So for me, I, I think you're right, Dan. We've, we're, we're so thin at the minute. I'm not sure we have much choice until flex fit because we lack that kind of energy and box-to-box kind of play. And as much as some of what he does frustrates me, we, we're probably stuck, sadly. But I still struggle with the fact that you know if someone someone isn't committed, doesn't want to be here beyond the next few months, I'm I'm struggling with that. Just just as a as a as a kind of retort to that, so that's that's obviously the Lundstrom Lundstrom situation. He's a bang average Premier League midfielder, but he's one of our better players. At the minute, we'd, we'd all agree that Sander Berg is probably our best player. 
and he's got, what, four years left on his contract. At some stage over that four years, there's a good chance that his head may be turned by if his form carries on. Let's say, for argument's sake, Atletico Madrid. Let's just, just picking a decent-sized yeah. club out of him. If he gets the sniff around October time that Atletico are coming in for him, coming in for him from January and there's lots of rumours and there's bids going in and stuff like that, would you still have him in the side even though... Would you, still, would you still take the same stance with him as you would with Lundstrom, working on the fact that he's our best player and Lundstrom is probably somewhere in the middle? Because if, if you're going to be consistent, you've got to treat them both the same. But I think, but I think it's the way Lundstrom's dealing with it. It depends how Berger reacts to that. But what's Lundstrom, Lundstrom done? He's, he's not handed a transfer request and he's not down tools. All he's said is, you've offered me a contract. I'd come worth more than that. I'm going to take the I'm not going to sign it. I'm going to sign a contract with someone else. That's, that's, where not, gonna, this. that's where I struggle with this. That's where I struggle with this. He's not done a Van Hoy donk or something like that. He's not disappearing. No, he's not going to try, yeah. Go on, Phil. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, this, that's exactly where I struggle with this. Other than saying, I'm going to take my chances of getting a better contract elsewhere, which everybody's in their right to do, yeah. I'm not sure what else he's done wrong. I don't think he's played badly this season at all. This player's played worse. But because of the contract situation, he's the one getting the stick. And I get, I, I completely understand why he is. And he hasn't, there are, there are things he's done that he probably did better last season and would, deserves criticism for. But I don't know. It's he's, probably, he's probably the only player we've got that's desperate for fans not to be let back in. As yeah. stand <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, John? Go on, John. Quiet. Go on. I think that the argument that he's not done anything wrong is fair enough. Of course it is. And I also think the ideas of trusty and the raise there are fair enough. My problem with the entire situation is I feel like somebody wants more money when really in the time they've been with us, they've only been good for half a season consistently. Because this season, nobody's been good. You, you, like, let's, that's why we're in the relegation zone. If you look at how players in the past, namely a modern-day legend in Mark Duffy when they went and asked for more money, maybe got gone about it the right way, don't get me wrong, were treated. And this, for me, raises questions on inconsistency about how people are treated. And the reason of that is United knew or know or think they know that Lundstrom is worth X amount of money. Okay? And it's almost like we keep him going until January because we can sell him in, I don't know, Cut price six million helps us replace him with a player right in January. I, I'm, I'm pulling these figures from nowhere. What I just don't like about it is this all idea of, and it's, it sounds like criticism of Wilder again. I'm not slagging Wilder off, but that not only that sort of way the Duffy situation was handled compared to this, but the whole sort of you talked about the loyalty thing, and then you saying, "Oh, he's you know, if he's committed and things like that." What don't want him playing for this football club? He's not signing the contract. It's a pretty clear indication that he doesn't want to play for the football club. For the he doesn't want term. to extend his contract. He doesn't want to extend. The, the, so the, for you know me, where the, I'm coming from. So I do. Like, I don't. I'm, but oh, he's going to try. Yeah, I, I, I just think the Duff, I think the Duffy point's a mute point because the only side of it that we actually have heard is Mark Duffy's point. And the, uh, my experience of, of Mark Duffy outside of the football side of it is I've got a pretty strong opinion that his missus is a bit of a tit. And I think she drives his 
way about going about things. And Wilder's kept his counsel on that, which I'm fine with. But then why is he... Why... I just feel like, as well, we could, so we'll go into it on another level. We come out of the best performance of the season and we announced that midweek. He was asked a question. He was asked a question. Well, couldn't he... But why, why then? Why, why like... Do it's he, an ongoing thing, isn't it? It's, it's well, an ongoing topic. Has Mark, you know, sorry, has John Lundstrom signed a contract? Are you anywhere closer with John Lundstrom? What's the? It's, it's an ongoing. I feel. It's, I feel it's been, I feel it's been handled badly throughout. And now you could go back to the summer on this. Lundstrom, if he is on the first season championship promoter, so if he's not had, even if he's had a twenty-five, thirty, even fifty percenter. You telling me he was on more than about six grand a week when we signed him from Oxford in the first season of the championship? I would be shocked. So let's say he's on fifteen grand a week now. The money we spent on him was it even was it about four hundred grand something? No, it was a bit more. I think it surprised me. I think already it was three quarters of a million. We signed. Yeah, I thought about seven hundred grand. I didn't get. But regardless, in terms of our budget in the summer, Lundstrom. Is it like he's not a big commodity within the wage structure in the squad that we need to move on to being someone else in? And whilst there's the uncertainty, we we talked long about why haven't we bought a midfielder, and it's going to because it's going to be hard to replace also midfielder, creative midfielder, a top one costs like 15, 20 million quid if you look at it. <laughs> like, but I just feel like it's been handled terribly. I know he's divided opinions for a long time, but I. Just, Honestly, I wouldn't have him in the team, even though we're sort of like you say, Dan. He's one of the better players. I just think I, I just think it's when you're losing and you've got a player who doesn't want to sign a contract in the starting eleven, then we're relying on it. It just doesn't sit right with me. It really doesn't. And is, is it the first time we've ever had this situation? Because it's not an unusual situation in football, is it? It's yeah. happened quite a few times. But has it ever happened with us before, where the players? happy to just run their contract out. I can't think of it. Yeah, a bit to, get, to get a bigger... Yeah, yeah uh, Martin Smith. Yeah, Martin Smith, yeah. And he's hated still by United. <laughs> <laughs> now he was a one-season wonder. Yeah, he was. You know what I mean, though? All this talk of tribalism and unity and commitment and all these characteristics of this this team and this, this bunch of players under Wild. this is... It's one more thing that's gone against us this season. And I'm not saying it's any one particular person's fault. It could be several people's fault. But it's just another thing that's not helping the situation with how we are at the moment. Yeah. I'd love to see us break the wage structure if we could. Not even if we could afford to. I'd love to see not it. for him. But don't do it for John Lundstrom. Yeah, I agree. I do you agree know, with that. You're doing yeah, no, absolutely. a 35, £40 million pound, like, sensational striker from somewhat like what this Dennis lad or something like really exciting player that wants 50 grand away okay let's do it because he's going to make the difference but he's not a fourth or fifth best player at the club to be the fourth or be- no. fifth best wage earner and that's what has been alluded to he would have put him fourth or fifth best wage earner at the club the offer the club has made <laughs> could you could you argue that he probably was last season fourth or fifth, top five best players in our side I'd argue he probably was. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. but on a consistent basis, there's better. Well, he worked, in terms of the performances last season, he, was, he wasn't the first or second best midfielder. 
you'd argue the entire back six were better than him. Up front, McGoldrick, in terms of contribution, you see what, like, I, I just think he's been handled terribly and it leaves a real nasty taste in the mouth. And it also, the, it starts a discussion about us, which isn't to do with football. Mm. Which I never think it's good to be going on. Whether There's people talking about the dressing room negatively for the first time in Wilder's tenure, really, and that's not a good place to be. We're in, in, in Wilder's, like you say, in Wilder's tenure, we're absolutely in uncharted territory mm. on a number of fronts in terms of results, in terms of, like you said, the dressing room harmony, in just the several things where we've not had this for, for four or five years. It's, it's all been, uh, it's kind of been sunshine and rainbows for four or five years, hasn't it? And aside from Burnley, it really, really doesn't help that you look at every other side in the league and they're better than they were last season. Or different, you know, they're certainly better than us. On paper, we are, though. But it's just not happening. Yeah, yeah. I know, Phil. I just, but, um, I mean, just to, just to watch. So, like, you watch Newcastle with this turgid football and you think, yeah, that's yeah. awful to watch that every week. But it would be all right to have 11 points, wouldn't it? Uh, Newcastle are on 11 points. I think they they're in the top half, I'm almost certain. Cause they, I'm, I'm still not convinced it'll last. I still think they'll be down bottom, sure. bottom three or four. We West Ham, Dan, but West Ham are doing well. They've not got as many points. I think that becomes a, that's a very interesting game after the um, after the international. But I'm talking about you know your Southampton. I will put Newcastle in there. Palace look much better. Southampton look phenomenal. Villa look much better. Arsenal have improved, Chelsea have improved. And it's weird to say this, but Arsenal and Chelsea, and we'll talk about Chelsea in a minute, the teams that we had um, four points off last season, mm-hmm. Brighton don't look to have improved um, that much, but they they spent more money than us last year. And I think what you, you notice in as well with a few injuries, if we managed to stay up, Say we're 12 months down the line, we'd had another two windows and we had a more bolstered squad. This pe- period of key players being injured, a couple of players are playing, whereas our squad players aren't, aren't necessarily, like your Jack Robinsons, your Ben Osborne's, aren't Premier League quality, are they? Yeah, I think well, you, you, we talk we, we talk about last season's results a lot. We talk about, obviously, we beat Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, um, all at home, Wolves at home. They're not the games that are going to define our season for us this season. And no. We should have beat Fulham. That that could come and bite us on the arse. But it's what we do against teams like Burnley, Brighton, West Ham. Even Villa again when we play them back at Bramall Lane. I think they'll be there or thereabouts like, uh, come the end of the season. You think about the teams that went down last year. We beat Bournemouth twice. We beat Norwich twice. No, we drew we drew four points off Bournemouth. Oh, sorry. Four, Bournemouth we yeah. drew down there, didn't we? We didn't lose against Watford. We, uh, You're just, right. We've we've probably only had two what you call season-defining games so far, and that's Villa yeah. and Fulham. Everyone else, is, uh, everyone else has sides that you would expect to be comfortably superior to us. Well, yeah. with the with the Lundstrom thing, um, he's going to he's going to rumble on, isn't it? And uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Chelsea game now in a minute, and uh, we'll discuss whether or not we think he should be in the starting eleven. Hey trainers, John. 
What the snowmate have had a few years, just got them back from being clean. Look really good, don't they? Yeah, really? Is that a thing? Honestly, they look new, mate. They look class. Yeah, it's a thing. Really reasonable, too. Adam Dunn at this place called Glistening Kicks. They're in Sheffield. Fe- fellas are blade, too. Oh, nice one. That saves buying new ones, doesn't it? How do I find them? I've got a few pairs I need looking at myself. Absolutely. Save, save me as someone who's got a bit of a trader for Hedgeship. An absolute fortune. You can get them on social media like most things these days. They're on Twitter at Glistening Kicks and Instagram at Glistening underscore Kicks. Or they have a website, www.glisteningkicks.co.uk. Give them a shout. The process is dead easy. They collect them safely and then drop them back off with you. And if you take them round yourself, that process could be even quicker. Um, they look, feel, and smell like new. And it's I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed and I'm already looking at what pairs I'm going to take down um, next to have him look out for us. Nice one. Cheers for that. I'm going to get on to them straight away. What was their Insta again? At glistening underscore kicks. That's the one. Really good service and I couldn't recommend it enough to any blades. Brilliant. Nice one. All the blades. Right, welcome back to uh, part three. Um, and as John alluded to at the end of that section on John Lundstrom, we're now going to look ahead to the Chelsea game on Saturday. Um, Chelsea away, another, probably the, the end of this tough run of three games that we've been kind of, I wouldn't say looking forward to, um, but was a, a key point when we looked at the fixture list at the start of the season. Desperate for at least a point. Um but have there been some positive signs? You know, we've we talked uh, quite constructively and uh, some may say negatively about that first, um, in the first couple of sections, but is there something we can take from what we've seen today that, that might give us a bit of hope going into Chelsea? I would say the, ma- the main thing that we can take from the season so far is that, like we are just saying, with the exception of the Wolves game, we're only losing by the odd goal. You know, 1-0, 2-1. And even the Wolves game was a couple of early goals that essentially kind of killed the game off after 10 minutes. The rest of the game itself was reasonably even. Um, so we're not getting we're not getting taken apart. We're not you know we're not shipping goals like like Norwich did last season and like Fulham having seasons past. We're in games right until the last minute. And I would say after seven games last season, I think we'd conceded seven goals scored seven goals so I think goal difference are nil but we've probably had a, a tougher start to this season in some ways and we've shipped ten obviously not scoring at the, nowhere near the same rate so that goal difference is taking a battery we're, we're losing goals by the odd game where last season we were probably you would say we were picking up picking up points in, in tighter games so in some ways you know we, we are we're in this up to the 90th minute in a lot of cases and even if the performances aren't at the standard we want, we are giving ourselves a fighting chance of taking something from these games. How important is the first goal on Saturday? Huge. Well, I think it's massive. I think that, uh, I said this briefly before we started, that apart from the Liverpool game, which is always going to be a difficult game anyway, we haven't got that first goal in any game yet. And I think that's partly why we're struggling to get a foothold in games because teams are sitting on us. They know what we do. They know how we get around the back of them and they don't need to come out because they're scoring first. I don't think if we get 2-0 up, we'll pull it back. If we get 2-0 down, we'll pull it back. Put it that way because we struggle to do it against Wolves. 
So, I mean, I'm also pinning my hopes on the fact that, as a rule, Tufty's got Lampard's number. Now, I know, I know Lampard's got a lot better players at his disposal, but for the most part, Tufty's had, had the better of him in the four games so far. If we beat him once, didn't he? Yeah. They beat us once. Two wins, one draw and a defeat. Is that, is that right? Yeah. If we throw the ball down Thiago Silva's throat and Zuma's throat, we will get nothing from the game. We really need to go back to best vintage blades, get the ball on the deck and be confident on the front foot and play through them, try to turn them, turn those centre-halves. Unfortunately, you've got probably they've kept five clean sheets this season, I've just read Chelsea. That's a record for this time of year for them or something ridiculous because even back in the Mourinho days, I think they were shipping goals but they were scoring like three or four. It's... It's going to be a very difficult game. I do think it will be fairly tight just because of... And it's always been this way since we've had a while that we don't set up in a way where we can get battered with the, with the full-backs. Yeah. Even if they put onto us, we set up in a very solid manner. I yeah, just we're up against it. We're five at the back, aren't we? And it's hard to break down. I, and I just think on Saturday, what I want to see is I want to see something that's more representative of the Liverpool game than of the City game. And I think the way Chelsea play, that might be easier. Because the game plan will be get the ball to Werner. Because he's frightening. Before seeing many changes for us, obviously Norwood for Ampadu will be pretty much enforced. Do we think we'll finally see Bogle, having seen Baldock? I don't see how Bogle, as much as... He doesn't you know. come straight into the squad. Yeah, and from nowhere. To the first team, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I, I think the, the interesting thing for me is, and it, maybe the Chelsea game isn't the game to do it, but I, I saw people, I and mean, naturally, when, when something is starting not to work, there's, there's a question of should, should things change? And I, I, you know, do we look to try and utilise somebody in a kind of number 10 role? Is that McGoldrick? You know, and, and, and you know, do you drop him deeper even? And, 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 Sort of protect your your midfield with with two deeper players. There's all there's things on the table. I don't. I personally, I don't see how that would work for us against Chelsea. Maybe it's one to look at when we wanted to take points in some of the matches that follow. But I think it's interesting to see what he does in the midfield. So picking up on that, you know, the comment, you know, following uh, the last section, does does Lundstrom come back into that midfield on the opposite side to Berger? For me, yes. Yeah, me I just too. think he's better than Osborne. He's just a better footballer than Ben Osborne. I think um, the, the other change I would make is the one that you've just said. I think I'd um, start Brewster on the bench and put McGoldrick right. there. Just for a... We don't seem to be retaining the ball in the, in the other half of the pitch at all. And that's what McGoldrick's so good at. And... I'm not sure against them too, Brewster's going to have a great deal of joy the way we're currently playing, unless they're chasing the game, unless we can do something during the game early on and bring him on later on. Yeah. That would be the change I'd make. Are we um, just talking about Brewster? Did we get it wrong then with uh, he's going to come back against his old team and score his first goal against Liverpool? Is he actually going to score against Chelsea? Good point. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. I hope so. I think some of the criticism of Brewster is mental. He, he's sort of like 
this upset, long obsession now with Hark since we've been in the top flight and obviously being blessed for so long with Billy Sharp that if a striker doesn't score a goal, they shit. Uh, you know, it was like McGoldrick last season on some of the some of the platforms. McBurney and Booster. It's just nonsense criticism. Booster's just not been given the ball. We've got a very exciting player then. It's just going to take him time. I think there's, there's warranted criticism of McBurney this season because he's missed chances, but Brewster's not had a sniff. No, you've got to give the guy some service. What about the... What about the possibility of Burke coming in? You were talking about Thiago Silva playing. What about the possibility of Burke coming in to run at 35, 36-year-old Thiago Silva? Or is that something for the last 20 minutes? Claude Louis problems, didn't he? <laughs> the, the thing for me was, you know, I was amazed we haven't used Burke more off the bench. Certainly, you know, chasing games, trying to exploit some pace, you know. Has he come back with an injury? Because you'd say before lockdown... Uh, before yes, he did. He did. Yeah. But that then he, he came off the bench at Anfield, didn't he? But which, then is, he didn't. which is why McGoldrick needs to be going around all the international blades and saying, international retirement's the way forward, boys. Get Berger to retire. Get Fleck to retire. Burke, McBurney, Egan, Stevens. Get them all retired from international football. Well, the, the fact they're going to go off and play three games at Ireland in the next international break Crazy. is just mental. Stevens Never mind at this time in the world. Yeah. Stevens played every minute last time as well. So did, uh, so did um, Berger, didn't they? How many has Berger got to play? Because I know they've got a... And they've got their they might have two because they have two they've got the playoff, haven't they? Yeah, that's right, yeah. They might be down to two, but the others have got... You know, like Ireland are playing three, friend, three, three matches. It, <laughs> Just barking, absolutely yeah. barking. Um, so, I guess to, to wrap this section up, what are our feelings on score on Saturday? John? Um, I think we'll lose the game 2 1. I think. Dan? No, oh, sorry, go on, John. Okay. Dan? Um, Pinning my hopes on Kai Havertz being a hugger and <laughs> having been around the whole of the Chelsea squad hugging them for the last few days, I'm going to say an optimistic one-all. Phil? I don't want to sound like I'm just agreeing with Dan, but I fancy a draw. I, I, I felt it. I, I think we do a bit of something going our way. I think there's something in the wild they're having summer over Frank Lampard. There's this record that Chelsea have got this season. It's got to come to an end at some point. The new keeper's not conceded a goal yet, has he? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Five clean sheets so far this season. I don't know. I just I can see us getting something. I'll go for a draw. I'll I'll kind of what's the opposite of reverting from type? I've been the negative one a bit this season. I, I, I came into this run of game saying I thought we could get four points out of those three these last three games, including, including the Chelsea game. Obviously, we're not we're not going to get that. I, I I think we might nick something Saturday. I just think there's such a flatness. We've, we've got to get a response. And like you say, I think there's something over Wild, Wilder over Lampard. Generally, I'm going to I'm going to say we'll nick it one 0 I'll drink to that. Bold. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, he's, no, I've got hair. Sorry. Oh, bold. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm looking in. I'm looking in the mirror. 
So wow. we'll be back shortly with the Hall of Fame. Well, welcome back to part four, everyone. Uh, and this is, uh, I think it's the first Hall of Fame we've done for a, a few weeks. Um, so I think, Phil, you've got one that you're quite uh, quite keen to get out there. So do you want to go first? Yep, quite happy to. I think um, having listened to um, a few podcasts during the last few weeks, there's been a, a former Chef United player on one very famous podcast that's put the record straight about a few things. And um, I think it's worth talking about on, on our podcast and, and talking about our feelings about him. And that's Paddy Kenny. I think as a goalkeeper for Sheffield United, I thought he was outstanding. He should never have been a goalkeeper at professional level anyway, looking at the size of him when he first started. But Fucking old pot kettle. I was never a professional, Dad, let's be honest. Fair <laughs> <laughs> um, enough. <laughs> but I, I think most of us would agree, he's one of the best keepers we've seen play for United. Um, left on very sour terms after being banned for a year and, and being accused of being greedy. And he's put that record straight on the Under the Cosh podcast to say that that wasn't the case at all. He was forced out of the club and he actually wanted to stay and was told he couldn't. He was leaving and we'd accepted bids for, from three clubs for him. And if, if, if you've not listened to the podcast, he's got a book coming out as well by uh, Danny Hall, Chef United fan and, and reporter for the Star. Um so yeah, Paddy Kenny's my my entry to the Hall of Fame for for many reasons. I, I loved him as a player. I hated him when he came back for QPR, and to now hear the reasons why he left, I think it's worth mentioning. I'm talking somebody, about somebody behind you. Don't like that. Don't like uh, Paddy Kenny uh, or Danny Hall. I think they're trying to shoot your house down. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've just started on reading the book. So I've not listened to the podcast yet. I thought I'll read the book first and see what else, and if anything else comes out on the podcast. Um, and it's a good start. You know, you you, you read about his up, upbringing and the the, the way he, you know he got involved in adult football early. You can see how he became the kind of. I always thought it. He reminded me in some ways of Simon Tracy, in that he was a fantastic keeper, but he could also have rocking old shit for brains at times. Genuinely, his decision making could be rash and I mean that in the you know best possible way and you know a lot of goalkeepers you know they do those things they come off sometimes they don't you know and so we're genius of that. we like to call ourselves in yeah <laughs> but you know I remember the um I guess if I look back at, at Paddy I remember the but we, we can we can talk about the the Millwall incident with you know with Muscat we can talk about I remember the whole the whole game that kind of semi sealed promotion under Warnock back to the Premier League, and uh, him. He played most of that game with concussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the second yeah. half, he got hurt about five minutes into the second half. That's he, right. Yeah, he had his leg badly strapped up because he hurt himself in the first half, and then he got concussed about ten minutes into the second half. You know, you say about that Millwall game, Ian. Yeah. The podcast's brilliant. It explains what actually happened in that and how it kind of came about. But Warnock's reaction to it's absolutely brilliant. So it's all kicked off. They get back in the dressing room and you've seen the video on the Warnock documentary. Morgan's saying, he's nutted, Paddy. He's nutted, Paddy. We'll sort it after, Gaffer. We'll sort it after. We'll we'll sort it after. Yeah. And, and Warnock's going, I love that, me. Brilliant. I love all that. I love all that sort of stuff, me. It's brilliant. Five minutes later... Paddy Kenny's been pulled into referee's office and been sent off along with Muscat. 
He's walked back into the changing room, said to Warnock, I've been sent off, Gaffer. Get out my sight. I don't want to see you. Don't talk to me. Get out my sight. And sent him to see him shower on his own. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, I, I apologise to Paddy on Twitter. I think last week having listened to the Under the Cosh because obviously we only got half the story uh, when he left and I spent the first 45 minutes of the, the QPR game stood behind him, waving a £20 note at him calling him all the fat, greedy cunts I could lay my tongue to. Um, and obviously now... <laughs> That's not a great sentence, Dan. <laughs> oh. I can't say that, that kid. We've all been there. Um, and obviously now I've heard the, so I apologised to him on Twitter and he was, he was very gracious to say, you know, no problem, pal. Um, I'd have done the same in your, in your situation. What made, the, what made the, us actually getting rid of him worse was when they told him, we've accepted a bid from QPR um, because we've got Steve Simonson coming in. I mean, talk about fucking insult to injury. Jesus Christ. Proven Premier League goalkeeper on less money than you. That's why we're selling you. Fucking brilliant. You know, you'll never get past Steve Simo. <laughs> you know what? It's funny you say that um, about, not about you singing about Simo, John, but um, the situation with, we just talked about John Lundstrom. We don't know the full story. We know what we're being told. And that, that's perhaps part of where my mind's at with, with Lundstrom. So but anyway, digress a little bit. Yeah, but you're right. We've had, we've had obviously Paddy Kenny coming out and telling his side of it. We've had Paul Devlin coming out and telling his side of things on here about why he left and how the full story didn't come out at the time. Yeah. Like I said, there's, well, as the saying goes, there's three sides to every story, isn't there? Your side, my side, and the truth. Yeah, yeah. So your nomination to get us a bit more back on track is Paddy. Paddy Kenny, for, for very various reasons. The fact he was a bloody good goalkeeper and the fact that he got probably a raw deal in why he left United because he wanted to finish his career. Yeah, I, I think that's a good nomination, to be fair. Very good. Um, Paddy, yeah, Paddy, Paddy were brilliant. Now, one thing I would like to say before, I know you just tried to wrap it up there, but I didn't say anything. So uh, what I found interesting about Paddy when he were at Lane, when he came back in that game in Genoa, like it was, I was actually with QPR, I was blown away about how hostile it was. Because I just thought, because that was after like, a period of time where, and as a Blades fan for so long, I was used to losing his best players. So I was never like that harsh when they came back. And it, I remember it be I don't think yet we've ever been that hostile to a former player. I can remember it being hostile for about 11 minutes because we were 3-0 down after about Three 11 down. minutes. And, yeah. just give up. <laughs> and, and that was that was part of the problem. Most yeah. of the ground spent the first 10 minutes abusing him rather than, rather than actually getting involved in the game and, and, and kind of supporting the team. And then Every cloud, you know, that's the black ball, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So every cloud. And it was on that it was on that dodgy Channel Four documentary where Brian Robson were trying to sell dodgy clubs out in China to people, weren't they? Yeah. Us. And, and then it was the end of documentary. Us. Yeah. All the big I can remember Dan. Do you remember watching that program when we were texting each other going, This is us this, this is yeah. us this. I know it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you could see it coming a mile off, couldn't you? <laughs> so yeah, Paddy Kenny's my nomination. There you go. Oh, uh, Ian, John, who wants to go next? Ian, I'll go. John, I'll go. John, um, Ian. So I'm I'm going to go for a, a, a recently former blade, um, and it's someone in the back room at Bramall Lane, and I'm going to nominate Mick Rooker. Great shout. 
uh, you know, this uh, week's winner sorted. Um, an absolute mainstay of behind the scenes at Bramble Lane. Obviously had a, a short spell. I think it was around the time of Charles Green and Mike McDonald, wasn't it, when, when Andy Dakin and one or two others headed off to Hull briefly that returned. Not not through choice, but I think just working conditions, everything else meant that they needed to get out. But ultimately, you know, I remember, I remember the uproar when they tried to get rid of Mick Rooker, which said huge amounts about the fans' time frame. I think there was a the immediate response from everybody it meant United found a role for Mick Rooker. Um, He's always had time for us, though, hasn't he? Everybody knows him. Yeah, he, he knows people's names. Mm. You know, I, he... I mean, as, a, as a, when I was younger, I used to just go on the official coach with a few mates. And, you know, it Rooks. Rooks, Rooks was behind everything. I, dro- I dropped a line to a friend of the pod, uh, Mr. Giacomo Squintani, who had the pleasure of working under Mick Rooker uh, as a young student helping out in the pool's office many years ago. And he actually um, was assisting Mick by being translator for the Anglo-Italian uh, overseas coach trip to watch United. And um, I said to uh, I said to Giacomo, what would you say? And he said, he's a blade respected by the entire United family from five-year-old mascots to older fans to players, managers, backroom and boardroom staff. And he treated all those people the same way. And I think that's quite a nice way of summing Rooks up. Whoever you were, whether you're a player, you know, your boss, his boss, a fan, a kid who's he's taking out onto the pitch as a mascot. You all got treated exactly the same way. Um, and he said, ask Tufty, ask Dane Whitehouse, ask Bassett, ask Alan Kelly, uh, ask Brian Dean. They all remember Rooks. They all smile when you mention his name. Rooks knew football mattered an awful lot to a lot of people, but also knew it came down to human beings kicking a ball about and balanced it. So I... I I thought Squintani, having sat there and worked alongside Rooks and having a long-standing friendship with Rooks, could probably sum it up better than I can. But for me, uh, Mick Rooker, to a large extent, was mis- was a, was a Mister Sheffield United, not in any beauty pageant stakes, but was Mister Sheffield United for a number of years. No, I think that's an outstanding shout. And I, yeah, I think that's a great shout. In fact, I, I, I think actually, there's an I think there's an argument for. I think you, I felt like you were probably about to say the same thing that I was going to say then, weren't you? Yeah, I think so. Go on. Go on, go on, you, you, go, on you go on. Automatic entry to Hall of Fame for me. Yeah. There's not, I don't think, there's many Sheffield United fans who don't know who Mick Rooker is, what he does, hasn't spoke to him at some point without even knowing him and he treats you like one of his own. He's just, it, Mr. Sheffield United is a perfect description of him. I know, obviously, Shred as a fan was always kind of described as that, as somebody outside of the inner workings of the club, but inside of the club, Mick Rooker just, he, he kind of, he always felt like that person that just knew everyone. And I've got to say, by the way, that that little eulogy, if you want to call it that, by Giacomo, if he's out doing his run tomorrow morning for his half marathon run to work or whatever it is he does every single day, that'll stop him <laughs> his tracks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, morning I mean, gaffer. Hope you're having a good run. Yeah, morning gaffer. I think he uh, he, he always laughs about, it and I, I, he could probably tell the story better than I would. I might have to get him to record it. We can put it on next next time's pod. But the the story of him trying to direct Rooker and the coach driver uh, through the streets of Milan, which having passed on the streets of Milan with work in a taxi isn't a great experience. But on it's a no, coach, there's no no picnic. Yeah. No picnic. Trying to find the way to Piacenza. <laughs> In the Anglo Italian, um, I'm sure he, I'm sure Squintani would tell the story better than I can. But I know he's, he's told me about that in the past. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm 
John, any any anything you want to add, or I'm, I guess well, uh, you and well, when I when I moved back to Sheffield from uni, uh, started going to a lot more games and stuff. Cause I had a bit had a job, had money, going to all the away matches, going on the official coach. Mick uh, obviously got to know him quite well through that. Uh, remember last time went on the official coach. Uh, we when we beat West Ham in, on penalties when Doyle scored. Uh, that penalty did the Courtney walk and uh, he'd, he'd phoned me up a few days before and said oh I've seen you've bought tickets uh, John how are you going to get down well I'm thinking of going in a car blah, blah, blah. I might go on train not 100% sure he goes well refund your match tickets so you can run a coach and then I was like <laughs> right, okay then so it ended up being like the last official coach that filled up with some dare I say less than savoury characters on it with us uh, me and my mate Matt and um, got a, these two bloody bus drivers right set of characters one of them were on online dating sending some mucky messages because he was in that our up front and I could see his phone do you know like see where the stairs are and other one were, wouldn't use a sat now didn't trust him anyway it was about two in the morning at this, uh, no not that late but about one in the morning and he just texts me so I fall asleep woke up he goes why the fuck is the coach going to Colchester? Because these bloody bus drivers had sent coach on the wrong way around M25, took a wrong turn. Oh, we didn't get in until about four in the morning, but we'd, 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 um, we'd obviously beat West Ham. Make a lovely man, really generous, did a lot of things. And um, obviously being around at that time where they were restructuring uh, things that when we were in League One going off, when Mick's job was actually up at one point and... Um, and the uproar and it was really really positive but like you're saying the sort of backlash by the fans it said everything you know about like the man uh, that Giacomo summed up like perfectly there and how you took you hear a lot about this the more like in this sort of modern day where you know football podcasts and whatnot with past players interviews YouTube channels that do past player interviews as well um there's lots of insight and it's often names that come up such as Mick from players at all levels of the game who are big mainstays of clubs and they're, 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 like, they're like the heartbeat of the club and I hope that Mick, even though I don't know how bothered he really is these days, hopefully once this nonsense is over can actually enjoy being a Blades fan again and go to some games and get looked after himself like he spent many years looking after other people. Well said. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's your your, your nomination. Know, that's your nomination. Well, I'm definitely not getting anything in uh, with them two, so I'm going to go for something um, something quite funny. And I want to. It's more of a, a test to see if anyone remembers it because I don't remember who we're playing. I tried finding it on YouTube for about 20 minutes throughout this podcast. And does anyone remember a game at Bramall Lane? where we had a free kick about 40 yards out and Lee Bromby ran up to take it and it went out for a throw-in. <laughs> it was a free kick that was in shooting distance if you were Roberto Carlos. And there were discussion. I think it was under Blackwell, and there was some discussion about the free kick for a good two or three minutes. And all the bodies cleared out. And Bromby stood there, hands on hips, poised like Ronaldo, and had this like 20 yard run up. I thought he was bowling in, you know, to pavilion end. 
Alright, ran in and he sliced it and it went out for a throw at like where the John Street stand oh. is. And the video exists somewhere on the internet and I will buy a pint to anyone who can find me the footage of it. It is the worst free kick in the history of Sheffield United Football Club. And Lee Bromby's somebody who fascinates me. Because uh, I remember when he left, obviously. Bromby was really good for United in a lot of ways. He got a lot of stick. Uh, but I remember when uh, he, like, he, he took that coaching role, I think it was at Leeds, because he's, he's, he's head of youth development now at Huddersfield. So he's obviously got on with his coaching. And, and I remember somebody said, oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Expect Leeds to have a, a new um, new series of defenders who were very good at letting the ball bounce and not very strong. But I always thought Bambi was really good. And that free kick is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, what the fuck is going on here? And then, yeah. Um, as you described it, I've got a vague recollection of it. I have as well. I must admit, it's not ringing any bells with me at all. It's a mass. It's the fact it's a massive run-up and then just a complete shank. Is it the Bob Willis of run-ups? There's a, there's, a, there's one for the old ones. <laughs> there is. Well, with his tongue out and his arm swinging down the side. <laughs> Are you got your laugh? We had a long, we had a long back garden. I managed to model my run-up on Bob Willis. <laughs> we will. Um, we will, if we find it, post it on the Twitter feed. But, yeah, it's it, just a comical thing. I mean, I don't want to compete with Paddy and Mick Rucker, and I just thought I'd add a bit of humour because it was very funny. I'll, I'll try and find it. My nomination, again, don't think I've got a prayer of, of, of getting anywhere on this one. Um, but it was obviously talking about the um, Ian Yeo nomination, about the Anglo-Italian. Uh, yeah. my, my nomination is the, the famous night of the lane against Udinese. Oh, where we had, that's a good shout as well. We had four sent off and they had one sent off, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm including Bassett in that. I think we had, if I remember rightly, it was definitely Artfield and definitely Hodges. And I can't Nathan, remember. Nathan Blake, Nathan wasn't it? Blake got sent Nathan off. Nathan Blake, well. that's right. Yes, that's right. And Bassett made four. They had one sent off, and I think we lost 2 1. Um, but it was just an absolute. It was carnage. Absolute carnage. I'm going to make a suggestion here, and he'll love it if he hears this, which, which he will. Squintani was acting as translator that night at Bramall Lane. <laughs> And he was also looking after the Udinese team at the, uh, what was the Swallow up at Netheredge. Right, okay. So, so I'm going to make a call then. I think we get Giacomo on this pod to talk about that night and that night yeah. in, or that day in trying to navigate through Milan. Because I've got some stories part, there. And, and, and four <laughs> blades, five part, blades right? in an Anglo-Italian pub. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. But no, sorry, I, I, I digress because actually, you know, that night was just uh, a certain thing sticking in the memory of watching United when I was, oh, I'd, be, I'd be in my late teens then. Yeah, and, I'd be 19-ish. Yeah, but just going to, you know, regretting that I'd not gone on that coach trip, you know, yeah. for 100, 120 quid or whatever it cost yeah, to go definitely. to Piacenza, because then I don't think the Ancona one happened because the, 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 the way the rest of the matches went in the Anglo-Italian Cup. But um, the... Just watching us disintegrate, and I think Udinese started one or two uh, decent players in the in their squad that night. You know, even though they were Serie B, they had some international players still. So you, you were still up a decent side, but we just lost our heads, didn't we? Well, that's that's, that's nineteen ninety four. So that's when kind of Serie A and the Italian league was at its absolute pomp, and it kind of yeah. 
early to early to mid late nineties or the nineties basically. So they would yeah they would have had some good players. I can't remember. I'm sure when lockdown's finished, if I head over to my mum's, there'll be a there'll be a program in the loft somewhere. Um, yeah. But I couldn't 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 place any of the, the Udinese side. But yeah, you're right. It was kind of went into it with a lot of expectation. Actually, I think at the time I thought we were going to win the Anglo Italian Cup. You know that that was my kind of expectation at the beginning of the season, and then uh, and the wheels came off fairly quickly during that game, didn't they? Yeah. There was, I mean, there was a time they had beer off, but I thought, I think that was later. I'm trying to think of the timing of it, but there was certainly, there's certainly one or two players in that team that night who'd, who'd either played in around the '94 World Cup for one or two teams, I think. Um, but just yeah, looking just, at the teams that were in that this season, do you know what teams were in it from that from this country? Notts County won it that year, didn't they? Or was that the year before? Well, Notts County were in it, so they might have yeah. done. Swindon Town, Tranmere Rovers. Yeah. Wolves were in it, and the others were Derby, Middlesbrough, and Stoke. Was it invitational? It was based on finishing outside the playoffs or finishing outside the promotion places in the championship. Okay. So it was like if you moved, if you went up, you didn't play in it. But if you didn't, you you could play in it. Now, I I'm, I'm thinking now it might have been Derby, Cremonese, the final that year. I like you. I was I was obsessed with it because I thought bloody hell, we're watching Italian Italian teams. At Bramall Lane, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I was obsessed with kind of Serie A in that time, and and would that be the would that be around the time when kind of football Italia started on Channel Four? It would have been, wouldn't it? Kind of yeah. mid nineties. So again, yeah, a bit I was obsessed with but but I, I was obsessed with kind of European football and and you know a bit of a bit of a footballing hipster before footballing hipsters were a thing. Um, so yeah, for you know, like you're right to see teams like. Um, Cremonese and, and Udinese and yeah because we, we, we that was our first game wasn't it because Piacenza followed away yeah and then I think we played just I was just saying her away because we placed the kids in the second away Italian game we took a youth team um but because we because by that point I think we'd we'd have we drawn with Ancona at home in the second game yeah like, we'd I, lost. I don't think we, we were out we were out of the running at that point yeah. but yeah but yeah just the excitement of just United are playing European football teams yeah, and kicking them off the park by all the Do you know what's really interesting, Ian? I'm just trying to find the teams from that particular game, and I've, yeah. it's taken me to a link from an S24SU forum from Christ before the Inter Milan friendly, and right. somebody's linked a United View blog on that particular they, game. Yeah, which which is and is that from me or is that from Giacomo by any chance? It probably well, is. That's linked it. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. The the, the the, the, the blog post, I think, might well be uh, Giacomo's side of events. But possibly so, possibly so. I'm just trying to open it now, but my internet signal's gone, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's Giacomo's version of the game. And as expected, being Giacomo, it's quite long. Yeah. <laughs> With no disrespect to Squintardi, but why, why, you, why use five words when 555 will so that's that's my nomination, and if that does spark a, a, a four blades and a fifth blade in the pub Anglo-Italian special, uh, then that, that's been that's job done as far as I can see. Because I think that'd be brilliant. Well, it'd be nice to hear some positivity here compared to some of the the recent content that we've put out and some uh, nostalgia. I think I think there's some good nominations there. I mean, I think there's some that are a lot better than mine, and by some I mean everyone. 
Um, but <laughs> but you've set everyone a task. You're the taskmaster, John. Thursday night. I don't know. He's funny. I don't think he's as funny as Taskmaster. <laughs> uh, I mean, watch Johnny Vegas trying to get those eggs on them balloons the other day. I, yeah. like, that was me. I was on the floor at that. But it's not Paul Blades with you for TV. So, <laughs> what's this goggle box? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. So, can I can I just clarify? Um, I'd tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I really do think Mick Rooker deserves, for some of the things we've put directly into the Hall of yeah. Fame, I think Mick Rooker deserves it. Certainly more than uh, Lee Crawford's free Yeah. Super. And I, I'd, I'd love that to get to him as well at some point, because I think that'd be... Uh... Well, we know the man who'll pass the message on. <laughs> he's had a few mentions tonight. I'm not saying his name again. He's had two. No, no. <laughs> So just to recap on that, we've got Paddy Kenny as a nomination, Rooks, who's going straight in, uh, Lee Bromby's surprising but wayward free kick, and a plethora of red cards against uh, Udinese in the Anglo-Italian. That's a strong week on the Hall of Fame. It's good yeah, to be back. And, that, and, and in fairness, that's been a that's been a decent section to finish on. We've had a bit more of a laugh in that section compared to, well. <laughs> Everything we've done since <laughs> since about March. So, <laughs> yeah. Where are we watching Saturday gents? Oh, that's Where? a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll have to bring it back down. We hope you enjoy the game on Saturday, everybody who's listened. Uh, we're looking forward to it, I guess. I think I prefer a half five kickoff to a lowly two o'clock on a Sunday kickoff. I don't know about you, Lot. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Uh, can, yeah. I don't think we've touched on it yet, by the way. Is it is it official now that with pay-per-view's gone? Apparently yeah. so, yeah. After the international break, it's uh, every game's going to be screened on one of the broadcast partners. Yeah, and, and can I just say, fair play, because the fans in this country don't get themselves organised very often to really make the voice heard. But everyone made the voice really well and truly heard on this. And I don't know if any of you listened to it, but that TPO football podcast on the cost of it, and and where they had the the, uh, the 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 head of the board and stuff, uh, the clubs aren't completely um, without blaming this either. They've been sneaky saying it was the Premier League, but um, what the interesting analogy is the idea of like game of football even during lockdown. It's like a machine at a fairground that shakes you and that's all your money falls out. And this was just another example of it. The game's always got its hands out to us as fans. And it's really good, like you're saying, that we've managed to, hopefully we play some small part of it by sharing our opinions on it, actually get something positive change for the better for the fans. And the big change for the better, we'll have to, is uh, Ian's 1-0 to the Blades prediction on Saturday. So I, for one, hope that comes true. Right, the it's been a pleasure. All the blades. All the blades. If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not put the pub on. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to find me with a, right. Well, I'd say Peroni as well.